honestly, the truth is like we're really focused on how do we build a platform that helps the ecosystem expand and like single bags of cash often don't help <laughs> an ecosystem expand. So it's more like, how do we support an ecosystem that we believe from a technology, from an ethos and from a team perspective is going to grow the entire blockchain space that may look small today, but over the next five years could rival Ethereum or rival Bitcoin in its success and scale. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Encrypted is the Middle East's largest podcast dedicated to blockchain, crypto, and the fintech ecosystem. I'm your host, Ahmed Boulari. In today's episode, we speak to Joe Laluz, who's the CEO and co-founder of Bison Trails. I was very personally excited for this episode, and I'll tell you what, after recording it, this has really been one of the most valuable conversations I've ever had that touches on remote working, leadership, retaining talent, and the general crypto infrastructure and what we expect to see in the future. Now, before we start, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, CoinsApp, a global social payments application for cryptocurrencies based on the Dan blockchain ecosystem. It empowers billions of people to send money around the world in seconds. The team has already launched their app in beta and has received amazing traction since. Now you can find CoinsApp on the Google and Apple Store. Also, I'd like to thank those who've been supporting the show. Remember, you could support us in any way possible. You can subscribe, rate and review the show, sharing the podcast on your social media and any other way you feel like supporting. And now on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode on Encrypted. My name is Ahmed Al-Balaghi, and with me, joining me, is Nick Watson, my co-host. Say hello, Nick. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Very, very well. I think this is the first time we've actually co-hosted in quite some time. I was missing in the previous episode. But yeah, great, great to have you back on. It's great to be back. I'm looking forward to this episode. Yeah, likewise. We have Joe Laluz, who is the CEO and co-founder of Bison Trail. Say hello, Joe. Hey, how's it going? Thanks so much for having me on the show. Really excited to be here. Likewise. How's it going with you? Doing well. Doing well, thanks. You know, heading heading into the fall season. Excited. Excited for the leaves to change colors where we are. <laughs> and where are you? Is that New York? Yeah, I'm based in New York City. So I'm I'm in New York. How many of your staff are at the office or working from home? Yeah, actually, so we are prior to the the you know the the COVID nineteen pandemic, we were actually probably about thirty thirty five percent remote uh, as a company, and currently the entire company is remote. So everybody's either working from home or from somewhere else. Our offices have been closed since March. They're remaining closed through the through the end of the year. So it's been an interesting transition moving to a fully remote organization, but you know, super proud that the team's been really resilient and been able to do that pretty efficiently. As a blockchain company, do you find yourself being more more blockchain-y because you are all decentralized now? <laughs> Sorry, it's the wrong language to use, but it's it's effectively <laughs> the same thing, right? Yeah, actually, so I think we operated in a because we had 35 or so percent of the company that was remote before, we actually had pretty good hygiene around sort of distributed work styles, really great remote tooling, our processes around, you know, getting things done, shipping new products, shipping software. That was already pretty well established considering we were supporting a good chunk of the company that was that was remote. So I guess like you could say we're acting more blockchain-y now that we're distributed all, all over the place, but we're already pretty blockchain-y <laughs> before, before all this. I think if you say it enough, we might actually turn it into a real thing. <laughs> I, I know. I think that'll be the last time I say it, though. <laughs> no, I'm going to say it a couple more times. We'll try and drill it into everybody's head. Uh, okay. Maybe that's one of your goals then for this podcast. Oh, Let's yeah. bring a positive to the world. We'll make blockchain a real thing. <laughs> I love it. So, I mean, given we're actually on that topic of remote working, maybe you could quickly share some like top tips of great remote working styles, any sort of good practices that work for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So actually, the first thing the first thing I like to highlight when it comes to sort of the last six months or so 
is to make it really, really clear for everybody that the last six months has not been remote working. It has been pandemic working, uh, <laughs> which is very, very different. Even in a world where your entire staff is remote, those folks can still do things like go to the movies with their friends or host parties at, at home. And that's been a, a pretty significant change. So um, I actually think that working in the last six months hasn't been really remote work. It's been more pandemic work, global pandemic yeah. work, which involves some remote features. So the first tip that I've been giving people in the last six months is really just to be patient with people. You know, there's a lot of, of anxiety and stress around the world in different forms that manifest mm-hmm. in different ways. And I think it's really, really important for, for teams to be empathetic and be really patient with each other because and, and you're sort of requiring an extra amount of patience, even if you wouldn't already be patient. So that's kind of the, the first tip I've been giving folks for the, the last few months. The thing that is more specific to remote work, and I know you guys have some experience working distributed and remotely as well. But what's been working for us as a team as we continue to grow, so you know, we're getting bigger and bigger every month, which is fantastic. But we've been really diligent about establishing and documenting our processes, which has been really crucial to adding new folks remotely and getting them caught up to speed into like how we work, how we do things, how decisions are made. And so some of the stuff that like I've kind of taken for granted in the past, you know, you have a meeting, who's taking notes, how are those notes getting shared out? What are the decisions that need to be made? Is everybody clear on what actually has to happen coming out of that meeting? We've become really diligent about that process and, and operationalizing it. So that would kind of be the second thing. And, and the third thing I say is, you know, give people the tools that they need. If it's Hangouts or it's Zoom or it's some new document sharing software that people really like, if it's, you know, our, our Slack culture, those things tend to be decisions that people spend a lot of time uh, thinking about. But at the end of the day, they end up being pretty marginal if they make people's lives much, much easier. You know, whether or not you add Slack isn't going to make or break your company. Just to take Absolutely. a further on the meetings and then taking notes and then taking actions afterwards, are you sharing that between each person on a different meeting or do you have a dedicated person who becomes the expert at it? Yeah, so we, we actually share that burden. So it's, it, you know, we'll, we kind of have pretty strict rules around this. And the only reason why we have strict rules is because if you sort of are a little too lax about it, it can get really messy really quickly. So if you are someone who is organizing a meeting, you are required to send out an agenda ahead of time and any pre-reads ahead of time so that that time together can be really efficient. You're also required to make sure that notes are taken, whether you take them yourself or not, and that any follow-ups happen afterwards. And we, we operate in a way that if that doesn't happen, then you're not really required to go to that meeting. So if I were to host a meeting and I wanted you both to join, if I didn't do those things, then the expectation is that you don't have to come because it's a commitment that we make to each other that we're going to optimize our time and our efforts because it's tiring. I mean, if you spend all day on Zoom calls or on Hangouts, it's very exhausting and it takes a lot of effort to do. So it's really like a social contract that we've made within the organization to really help each other out and make sure that I'm not wasting your time and you're not wasting my time. Yeah, Nick, make sure you have an agenda next time, okay? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You millennials don't even know how to type. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) When was the last time you used a pen, Ahmed? Literally, right right now. What are you drawing? What what type of icon are you drawing or sort of like stick figure? (laughs) Uh, Anyhow, Joe, thanks a lot for that. That was actually... Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I think... I think there's lots of takeaways from that, especially like for what we're doing as well for the other projects we're working on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I will say that all of us kind of got catapulted into forcing like fully remote work for everybody. And and honestly, that's just new for a lot of folks, you know, like there's plenty of folks that have remote work experience, but there's a lot of folks that have never done it before. And so it's a completely new muscle. So we've also, you know, the last piece there is we've been relying on teammates that have that experience to provide guidance and provide tips and stuff like that. And then, you know, like I opened with, it takes patience. Mm. Do you feel like you have an upper hand because you are in the decentralized space anyway? So the culture of the individuals agrees with that sort of nature? I do. I think that that's a very fair assessment or very fair view. The crypto and blockchain space is a global ecosystem. So we're pretty used to having teams and and customers and partners and competitors and, and just generally speaking, folks that we interact with on a regular basis all over the world. So things like time zones or sort of, you know, we sort of take for granted the fact that we're used to not only only working with people that are in the New York time zone, for instance. So yeah, I think that there is an advantage in that like that muscle was already a little bit developed. Nice. So I guess as a nice segue. 
tell everybody what it is that you do as an individual, how you've moved into the blockchain space, and then about bison trails. Absolutely. I love it. I love how we jumped right into operational tactics. <laughs> you know, it's, let's, go for the, let's go for the meat right away. Yeah. So, hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm Joe Laluz. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bison Trails. Bison Trails is an infrastructure company in the blockchain space, and we work with some of the world's top custodians, exchanges, asset managers, funds, data companies, and we help create secure, reliable access and participation in blockchains. So we do everything from helping folks run staking and block production and validation nodes and networks, and then helping folks read and write and query from blockchain networks as well. I can talk a little bit more about Bison Trails uh, in a little bit, but super quick background on myself. I'm a long-term startup founder, so I've been building venture-backed software companies for the better part of the last 20 years with my co-founder, Aaron. You'll probably hear me refer to Aaron as if he's standing in the room. We've been working together so long, sometimes people confuse the two of us if they don't know us. <laughs> We've been building companies for the last, like I said, for the last uh, 17, 18 years now, which is pretty crazy to think about. Over the last uh, little while, I've built a, a number of companies. One of the most recent ones was this company called Grand Street, where we sold it to Etsy, which was an online marketplace. It was an online marketplace for new creative devices, so new hardware devices. And we sold the company to Etsy, where we, we joined that team and we were running a, a business line that was focused on building software services for sellers on Etsy. I spent a few years there. I was on the leadership team and then left and dove headfirst into the blockchain and crypto space. Before actually working in the crypto space, I'd actually been doing some angel investing, adventure investing in the space. You know, I got into blockchain and crypto. The simplest way to put it is I'm just a huge nerd. In the early days of, of Bitcoin, because really Bitcoin was the only thing that kind of was around, I got to, you know, truthfully was not, this is going to change the world. And this is the most important thing that ever happened since sliced bread. I thought just it was a really cool, interesting, weird technology that I wanted to mess around with and, and play with. So I did exactly just that. And so I've kind of been in and around the crypto space for a long while, but didn't actually start working in it full time until about 2016. But uh, yeah, over the course of the years, I've been have done. Funny enough, as an entrepreneur, it's rare that I get into an industry first as an investor. <laughs> but with the crypto space, that is what how, how it happened. So over the course of the years, had invested in a number of different projects and founders, and some of the smartest and weirdest people I'd ever met were working in this space. And over the course of my technical career, that actually is a very strong signal that there's something interesting happening. It's happened with early internet. It happened with things like mobile. It happened. It's happened a, a number of times. So naturally sort of gravitated towards the crypto space. And then in in 2016 and 2017, Aaron and I were getting ready to leave Etsy. We were sort of thinking about what we wanted to work on next and spent some time exploring the depths of infrastructure in the blockchain and crypto space and got really excited about the potential and opportunity and this idea that blockchain and crypto is still relatively new. If we want to see mass adoption, and I mean mass adoption, not like every person in the world is buying coffee with Bitcoin, but more mm -hmm. computer computer systems are using crypto networks to transfer value behind the scenes seamlessly and easily on every product and service we use. The infrastructure that backs these crypto systems needs to mature significantly. And that was sort of the genesis of Bison Trails. Awesome. That's really great to hear. One, one question actually I had Given what you said and also what we talked about before in our in our initial call is that when people are usually in crypto because they have, you know, this utopia on how the world and let's say finance should work. And, you know, when you when you said you use Bitcoin for the first time or when you were actually looking into the space, you didn't really care about sort of let's say the Bitcoin vision itself or why it was created for you, just sort of cool tech. So now you're running a crypto company. That's powering lots of exchanges, custodians, and other services that you mentioned. Do you now see yourself, your, your vision aligning with, you know, the crazy people in, in this space? Like, is that the vision of what Bitcoin, Ethereum, and what blockchain promises now there? <laughs> it's a, that's a, it's a great question. I love it. So first of all, I think in any new technology space, it's really important to have like really early, almost zealot-like believers in a 
specific vision and mission. And I think that that has been absolutely incredible to see in Bitcoin and in Ethereum and, and quite frankly, in a lot of the crypto communities. It's one of the strongest benefits that a crypto community can have is like this deep, really passionate, almost unilaterally focused community because it helps drive the mission and the vision forward. And that's super, super valuable. I think that you're right in that I am not a you know Bitcoin zealot, so to speak. I'm also not an Ethereum zealot. But I, what I have seen and what I have done is sort of acknowledge that those folks are incredibly valuable to the ecosystem, but that as a whole, the ecosystem can thrive with things like interoperability and multiple chains existing and multiple crypto systems existing to solve different problems. So if you were to ask me today, what is the world's best crypto store of value? I would say Bitcoin. And it's not because I'm fundamentally aligned with the, the long-term vision or mission of Bitcoin, even, even though I am. The reason why I say that is because it's actually had an incredible, it's done an incredible job doing exactly that, storing and maintaining crypto value. The same way as I would say like the best and most prolific smart contracting platform is Ethereum today because it has an incredible developer community and incredible growth, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to stay that way forever. So I think that that's super important to acknowledge that, that those are very valuable pieces of the ecosystem. I think that as we've built this company and we've started expanding and growing Bison Trails, our view, at least like our mission and our vision has stayed pretty consistent in that we're trying to help grow the entire ecosystem and make it easier for folks to come in and build new products and services. And I actually believe that to be able to do that well, you need to take a somewhat agnostic approach to the protocols you support and the technology you support. And the reason for that is because we can identify some of the areas where different protocols sort of intersect much easier if we have our head a little bit higher up looking at the entire ecosystem. So rather than saying, oh, we're only focused on Ethereum, we're only focused on Bitcoin, we're only focused on Polkadot, by taking our, our, our lifting our heads up and looking at how all of them play out, we can actually start to see, you know, three, four, five years down the road where people actually need products and services to be built, as opposed to sort of fixing a specific problem today. Where do you see yourself in the ecosystem now then, now that you've matured the business and the product? Where do you feel you sit compared to all these other SaaS cloud-based providers? So I actually think that we're in a pretty unique position. There's not too many, I mean, there's certainly not too many that I know of, companies that built specifically build an infrastructure platform to solve multiple blockchains needs. There's been a, you know, a few companies that have been focused on one ecosystem per se. So there's a, a couple companies in the Ethereum space that are really focused on solving like Ethereum infrastructure. There's been very few in any other ecosystem. And our approach was always, there's going to be lots of blockchains that interact with each other, a place where you want to be able to support 20, 30, 40 different protocols, 50, eventually hundreds of different protocols is incredibly important. So I think that we've taken a very unique approach in that we've used the restrictions of decentralized systems. So things like high availability and the necessity for redundancy and the necessity for geographic distribution, and use that as an advantage in designing a platform that can support these existing decentralized systems, but in a way that's secure and super reliable for a company that wants to build like a exchange or a wallet or an app or something like that. So who is the perfect client for you then today? And then I guess, let's say a year from now, who would be the perfect client? Yeah. So today we work, like I said before, so today we currently support some of the world's top custodians, exchanges, funds. We've seen a lot of traction in places where tokens are aggregating or users are aggregating. So things like exchanges or things like wallet apps. And, and the reason for that is because those people, those companies need to provide really reliable services to millions of users. So if I open up a crypto app, I want to make sure when I open that app and I look at my Ethereum balance that that's not changing every yeah. two minutes <laughs> because I'm syncing to a different node or I don't know actually what infrastructure I'm hitting behind the scenes or I'm using some you know sh shared API that's going down because it's getting because I'm getting rate limited or it's getting hit by other folks. And so, you know, in a lot of ways, you, we talk about it as we've taken what's essentially beta software that's built on decentralized systems and enabled companies to provide really secure, really reliable, 
products and services to their customers. So today it looks like that. So we're seeing a lot of folks that have built stuff in the crypto space already, and they're looking to expand support for more protocols. You know, we've announced a couple of integrations and, and partnerships. Like in March, we announced a, a partnership with Coinbase where we were powering the staking for Coinbase custody uh, customers. So, you know, that, that's a pretty big one that we announced uh, publicly. You know, a lot of services uh, like that use Bison Trails to power the, you know, their backend infrastructure. In the future, you know, and this is part of the vision of the company, and we're starting to see this now, is if we make it easier for new entrepreneurs, new products and service builders to come in to the space and spend less time worrying about can they provide secure, reliable access to blockchains, then they can spend their time thinking about and building new products and services that move the whole space forward. So we're starting to see more and more folks that are building new apps, new types of products and services, and those can be anywhere in the finance space. They can also be anywhere in, in areas like data or marketplaces or gaming. We're seeing a lot, of, a lot of those. What would you say to people to differentiate from AWS or anybody else who's sort of providing blockchain platforms as a service? So one of the key things to Bison Trails, and this is I think is incredibly important, I mentioned this really briefly before, is we took the restrictions of distributed and decentralized systems and applied it to our platform. So we are multi-zone, multi-region, multi-cloud by default, which means that the entire platform does not rely on just AWS or just GCP or just Azure or just DigitalOcean. In fact, our infrastructure node clusters are distributed across multiple zones, multiple regions, and multiple cloud providers all at once, which means that our failover, redundancy, and geographic distribution is unparalleled, even in the large cloud computing space. So I suppose the best way to think about it is if you want to both be as available and redundant as possible and also stay in line with the crypto mission of decentralization and distribution, we're a much better solution than using any one of these sort of cloud providers independently. Before we move on, here's a quick word from our sponsor, guys, CoinsApp. CoinsApp is a global social payments application for cryptocurrencies based on the DAM blockchain ecosystem. It empowers billions of people to send money around the world in just seconds. And a huge shout out to the guys for building out the ecosystem and for having a successful launch in July. You can find out CoinsApp on the Google and App Store. Awesome. One other thing I was actually wondering, how has it really been dealing with crypto startups or companies just dealing within the blockchain space and serving those companies versus, you know, servicing traditional companies in your previous career? I think, well, two things that I, I think are really have been really interesting about that. The first is mm -hmm. the crypto space is still relatively nascent. I know it's yeah. we've been around for 10 years or so in some way, shape or form. What's been incredibly impressive to me is the pace of innovation in the space. But there's a lot of very technical folks in the blockchain crypto space. And that is actually pretty different from most other ecosystems. You often have a broader distribution of folks, you know, especially since crypto and blockchain is, is so close to applied research still. Like some of the innovations in the crypto space were PhD papers from only a couple of years ago, yeah. <laughs> you know, like which which is as far as research and then applied research is concerned is, is pretty quick. And so there's just a lot of really technical folks in the space. And what that actually means is, is that you have to service that technical community. And there's there's both benefits and sort of disadvantages of doing that. The, you know, some of the benefits are that you can build a really technical product and it's a little bit easier for people to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Like when we talk to someone building a company in the crypto space and we say like, it's really hard to have a product that services just Bitcoin, Ethereum and some other protocol, Bitcoin Cash, for instance. And they're like, yeah, we, we get it. It's hard. You know, if you build a product that's like only on Ethereum, it's hard enough as it is, let alone two protocols. I mean, you know, we support 30. So there's some jumps we can make, I guess is what I'm trying to say is there's some sort of jumps we can make in that like we are building a very technical product for a very technical crowd because of the fact that the industry is still quite nascent. So the, that's been really interesting. The other thing is, it's been fun to see the pace at which innovation happens and things change. And that that affects our business as well, too. So we have to build a company our platform needs to be able to be super, super, super flexible and needs to be able to move with the ecosystem very quickly. 
and that presents a whole set of problems that's very difficult, especially if you're thinking about infrastructure. And when folks talk about infrastructure, sometimes they talk about all the way down to like bare metal computing, which is traditionally not not very resilient, sorry, not very flexible and, and has, has resilience, but isn't very flexible. So building a product and building a platform that's meant to be you know, really flexible, but also creates a ton of security and a ton of resiliency is, is a really interesting challenge. And that's unique to the crypto space. Do you find the industry is coming to you to keep you up to date on what they're doing? Or do you find you have to go to them and basically scrape as much information as you can get on what they're doing? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. We're actually seeing a bit of both. So part of our strategy has always been to work really closely with protocol teams. So we're involved in a lot of really early stage protocol team communities in, in different ways, shapes and forms. So everything from helping with you know, reviewing code and making suggestions to protocol changes all the way through to like helping with things like governance. And we're involved in a few different associations and committees and advisory boards and a few different protocols. So we've taken a very active role on that front, specifically because of the position that we believe we're in in the ecosystem. We need, to, as part of our company's mission to move things forward, we need to know what's going on. And the best way to know what's going on is to actually help build the stuff. And so we view it as like, if we work really closely with protocol teams, we can then build the infrastructure that the ecosystem and communities need. And that will help that cyclically or circularly help those ecosystems continue to thrive. Okay, so how do you decide what you will onboard? Are you waiting for this the, the hot product to come across or the, the thing that's generating the most excitement in DeFi and then you go to the bare root of that and then you figure out what you're going to onboard to the platform? Or do you um, wait for them to become mature and just wait for the whole market to play itself out? Yeah, it's a, that's that's like the the golden hour question. I get that question all the time. It's hard. The answer to the question is that it's actually very hard to decide what we can support because it's not just about market demand or hype or technology or team. There's also our own internal resourcing. What we can actually what is easier for us to integrate into our platform because we built this platform that essentially wraps core blockchain and protocol software with things like telemetry and load balancing and all the, you know, all the really technical nerdy stuff that folks want and need when they're integrating a new protocol into, into a product or service. So some protocols are a little bit easier than others. And sometimes we will take an approach where we will look at different protocols and see if they're similar to ones we already have to make it a little bit easier. So things that are built on Ethereum or Ethereum-like, maybe they're forks of Ethereum, they're a little bit easier for us to add. Once we added Bitcoin, it was actually quite easy for us to add the Bitcoin forks to our platform. So adding things like Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV wasn't actually that hard. Mm. You know, it still takes a ton of work. So it's actually a combination of what's happening in the ecosystem. What do we believe in? What are the tech, what the teams themselves? So we have a very, very technical team, a very technical product. And so we spent a lot of time in GitHub looking at what's happening in the actual projects, spent a lot of time in Discord channels with those protocol teams, understanding what they're doing, what they're working on. And so part of it is art and part of it is a bit of a science. So so if somebody came to a big bag of cash and says, we want you to onboard our blockchain, what's the response? So we currently support 30-ish blockchains, no protocol team has ever paid us to support them. We're taking a much longer term approach to the product and service that we're building. So we don't actually view protocol teams or foundations or open source teams as a source of revenue. There's been scenarios where like we'll run a node on the Cosmos network and the Cosmos Foundation will delegate to our node to like sort of get us into the active validating set where there's like a sort of mutual benefit where like they'll help us out kind of a thing. And it's way more friendly unless, hey, we're paying you to add support. We, we just don't believe that that's the right path to take. And we are relying a lot more on like market dynamics. So no one has really come to us with a giant bag of cash. I think like all of that is relative. Um, so I can't tell you how we would actually act. But generally speaking, that, so. has, that hasn't been part of our strategy. Or, or Have you heard of Nick's new blockchain platform? I think it all depends on how big a bag of cash perceptually is to you, right? Can you actually <laughs> hold it? Or is it so big you cannot hold it, right? Honestly, the, the truth is like we, we, we're really focused on how do we build a platform that helps the ecosystem expand and like single bags of cash often don't help <laughs> an ecosystem expand. So it's more like, how do we support an ecosystem that we believe from a technology, from an ethos and from a team perspective is going to grow the entire blockchain space? 
and it, that maybe looks small today, but over the next five years could be could rival Ethereum or rival Bitcoin in its success and scale. I like what you're saying because after what you've just said, it makes me feel like you're sort of like validating those chains and saying that not only can you support it, but you can help the ecosystem make use of it, especially on an enterprise scaling component. Well, well, that's the idea. I mean, I think that we'll be right in some cases and we'll be wrong in others. And that's, I think that's also okay. You know, I think there'll, there'll be protocols that we support that eventually don't get the adoption that they need to survive and people stop using them. And then there'll be protocols that we support that will continue to grow exponentially and will become massive, massive crypto networks. And so, and I think that that just comes with the territory. So what we're trying to not do is a solely focus on short-term cash as to whether or not we support something, which we just don't do. And B, we're certainly not trying to be gatekeepers or anything like that. But there is a certain element of like, do we believe from 10 different vectors that this protocol has long-term viability? Mm. Yeah, so just a quick question on that. I see you guys are one of the... um one of the members of the technical steering committee at Libra. And you guys are running a Libra node at Bison Trails and helping on that front. Is there anything else, you know, being a part of the technical steering committee actually means that you could share? Yeah, absolutely. So that is right. I am on the tech, I was elected to the technical steering committee. So we're, we're a Libra association member. Bison Trails is a Libra association member. We're one of 27 members uh, right. right now. And they asked us to join specifically because, honestly, they'd heard we had a very strong reputation in the infrastructure space and they were trying to, you know, Libra is trying to launch a pretty large network and they wanted folks that had that experience and that expertise to help. So we do run a Libra node. We also work with a lot of association members to help them run their nodes the same way as we do in other blockchain ecosystems. So we, behind the scenes, run a lot of nodes across a whole bunch of different protocols. The association elected me to the technical steering committee. And it's a, a committee, so there's seven of us. And that role is focused on governing the open source project, uh, the open source Libra project and open source blockchain. So we do everything from help define and refine a roadmap, and then also things like processes around like, how do we decide what actually gets integrated and how do we decide what gets, what proposals are getting implemented and, and, and those kinds of things. So the, the role is really interesting. It's a combination of technical and technical governance, working with some really, really smart people, super fun stuff. And I really like it. And we do similar things. We're on the near advisory board. We're part of the Cello Alliance for Prosperity. We are on a whole slew of different protocol advisory boards and associations. And that's really just because we are strong proponents for their success. And, and we do have this single unique position that we see a lot of different protocols. And honestly, we do a lot of unscalable things where we'll help them understand some of the problems or changes or difficulties other teams have had <laughs> that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get because they're so focused on solving their own blockchain problem. How much support yeah. do you want from the industry now? Are you planning on trailblazing yourself or are there things that you want the industry to, to do for you to help you get to the next level? So, you know, that's honestly like a, a good question. I think that the company's mission and vision has been so entrenched in being a service provider and helping the ecosystem and being an enabler that I don't think we've actually spent a ton of time asking ourselves, like, what could the industry do <laughs> do for us? You know, I have just a tremendous amount of respect for the teams and the folks that have courage and, you know, and intelligence and skill to start new blockchain protocols that I feel like our success is going to be defined by their courage. And so I'm actually pretty happy as a company working in service to those folks you know, that's the cool thing is that like there's mutual alignment between Bison Trails as an infrastructure platform and the blockchain ecosystem in that if we are successful, it's because the blockchain ecosystem is successful. It's because these protocols are getting the adoption they need. They're building the features that people want. They're enabling the types of products and services to be built and we're helping. And so I'm not sure if there's any one specific thing I would ask other than, you know, <laughs> keep your heads up and don't get discouraged and keep pushing. Can we geek out just a little bit right now? That sure. Earlier, you were talking about silicon and metal and stuff. Is there anything you're doing right now to really differentiate your cloud-based infrastructure by focusing on the bare metal? And if you're not, what is that moment in time going to need to look like? What is that KPI or that milestone you need to hit so that you are focusing on like that? Like, like exactly like Facebook and all the other guys who are building big infrastructure have had to go and do because 
providers out there just can't meet the requirement. Okay. So we can definitely geek out on this. And it's a topic that I find is super fun. So for folks that know the cloud computing space, they understand that to really innovate, you do have to push the boundaries. And I think that we have been pushing the boundaries in the cloud space. So I kind of answered this question before when you asked, like, how do we basically compare it to like an Amazon that offers, I don't know, Amazon, Ethereum, blockchain services or something. And, and you know, my answer is that we are multi-zone, multi-cloud, which is pretty unique. Like Amazon is not multi-cloud, which means you're relying on Amazon. So we're, we've been pushing the boundaries from a cloud computing perspective as to, you know, what is doable and possible even for like large scale companies. What that also means is that we're supporting new technology. And this is kind of the culmination of applied research in blockchain. You have folks that are designing new things like signing curves, and they require new types of hardware that aren't supported by cloud computing platforms. Um, and mm. so we have currently done stuff like deployed distributed bare metal to support modularized pieces of our infrastructure platform for things like signing curves. If you're familiar with the blockchain space, you might understand this idea that you would use HSMs or essentially mm -hmm. hardware modules to sign messages or sign transactions. And then a lot of cloud providers provide cloud HSMs. However, there's a limitation to the signing curves that those cloud HSMs can support. And we are pushing the boundaries on new protocols, applied research, and cloud all at the same time. So into our platform, we've built in and integrated things that do touch bare metal. So to answer your question, we have. It's very specific to the needs of our users and of our customers and the protocols themselves in this interesting like trifecta of all <laughs> of these different pieces. But that really highlights what is unique about the Bison Trails platform is that we've basically taken things like bare metal and really specific signing curves and really specific utility and then things like cloud platforms and abstracted away the specific ones. So you abstract away Google Cloud, you abstract away bare metal, you abstract away AWS and you create this platform where all those things can come together and the folks that are using it don't necessarily even need to know how that works, but it's super, super complicated. So for anybody out there listening to this <laughs> and maybe isn't fully as geeked as what we might be on this conversation, is this the equivalent of creating like a GPU farm, but then doing it as a HSM farm? Or can you give like an analogy between <laughs> that for people? Sure. Imagine you had like a, you could create a distributed GPU farm that was like all over the world and folks could use it as if it was an API. And that's, that's a really, really tricky problem to solve. So how do you have computing resources that are distributed all around the world that have low latency access, that have high availability, so you can access them anywhere really quickly, you never have to worry about them going down, but they perform a very specific function, and you can do that via APIs. And that also then integrates with sort of generalized cloud computing platforms as well. And so you can optimize your cost structures and optimize where things are. It's a real, real puzzle, a real Tetris game to put all the pieces together. All of that coupled with the fact that the things that we're talking about are incredibly, incredibly secure. <laughs> so the difference between like a GPU farm is like, and for those folks, again, like getting into some of the nitty gritty, GPUs are often used to perform very, very intense calculations because they have very strong capabilities in terms of calculating things really, really quickly or processing things like video or, you know, DNA sequencing, that kind of stuff. The HSMs are used to essentially store incredibly secure information. And so you have to make sure that those systems are super secure. And, and that's a very hard problem to solve as well. So you, you were talking about APIs. So I'm assuming that there's a core layer of APIs and then the sort of modular APIs based on the chain being represented. And um, therefore, yeah. I can write a code and effectively, if I'm plugging into your core API, it doesn't matter what chain it's on, it will just work. I would say like we're kind of in some middle state there. It's not, maybe not as perfect. You know, and then it, I, I should also mention like as a company, we're, about two and a half years old. So we're sort of chipping away at making that as perfect as you just described it. <laughs> it's, you know, a work in progress. It's still making it so that there's a core API that can write code that sort of works across any blockchain protocol and then specific APIs. Um, but that is the vision. Mm. Makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. So out of all these protocols, which one's your favorite? <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, you, you've got to answer. You can't be very <laughs> diplomatic and... Uh... <laughs> 
That's a, that's a good question. That's a tough one. I don't have a favorite protocol. I, I mean, like I am an avid blockchain user. I try everything. I've been doing everything from being a complete DeFi degen and yield farming all the way through to setting up sharded Bitcoin keys and never touching those, uh, <laughs> those Bitcoin wallets. I, honestly, like for me, what's exciting is the innovation in the space and watching them all come together. I've been a pretty strong and vocal proponent for pushing against like the Ethereum killer terminology or the Bitcoin killer terminology. I actually think that that's not how this market plays out. I think that we'll see some protocols succeed really, really well. And like I said before, some will fail and that's okay. That's that's normal. But the real innovation is going to be in interoperability, in cross-chain communication, in building products and systems that leverage a number of different blockchains or blockchain platforms or smart contracting platforms to achieve a specific goal. And what's cool is as you build out the, the underlying infrastructure and make it easier for people to interact with the chains, you then free up mental space for folks to design new products and services that they couldn't even think of before because they're not wasting time making sure that their Bitcoin node is up. It says on your LinkedIn account, you guys are hiring. So what, what are you hiring for? Everything. Uh, <laughs> like I said, we're a very technical team. So we hire across the board in things like infrastructure, infrastructure as code, DevOps, SRE, blockchain engineering, protocol engineering. And then everything from business development, sales, partnerships, customer success. We have a group called what we call protocol operations. And they're the folks that work really closely with like governance and protocol teams it's almost like a technical community role where you're working like, you know, mm. very, very technical with very deep technical folks and understanding protocols and the nuances and economic schemes. So we're hiring across the board. The team's continuing to grow. And yeah, we are, we are definitely. And one question that at least as a founder myself that I have is how do you retain talent? <laughs> that's a good, that's, a, that's, that's another. Because in a bull market, and I've seen this happen yeah. is that people just want to create their own projects right and yeah. you can't blame them for for that ambition right so yeah and i don't and that that actually think is is key so there's a couple things that i focus on in terms of of trying to attract and retain talent and the first thing is solve hard problems that are really interesting and you'll generally find folks that want to help you solve those hard problems the harder the problem or the more passionate the problem solvers are the easier it is to sort of get folks to be really excited about what you're doing the second thing is, is focus on culture. I think like Bison Trails is a really, really great place to work. Obviously, I'm biased, but uh, the feedback we've gotten from the team is that it's a great place to work because we're a values-driven organization. We care a lot about what we do. We work transparently. We encourage folks to trust each other. And we believe that we will succeed as a team much more than we will as individuals. All that being said... I think it's really important to encourage people to do what they want to be doing. And if entrepreneurship is what they want to be doing, whether it's a bull market or a bear market, I tend to encourage them. I've been an entrepreneur for my whole life. So it'd be pretty hypocritical of me to say, yeah, yeah be an entrepreneur. Instead, what I do is I encourage folks to do it. And a lot of investments that I've made over the course of my career have been in folks that either you know worked alongside me or peers or joined a team that I was building. And I think that building those long-term relationships are really important. And so, yeah. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask a cheeky question, right? Sure. Close your eyes. Take yourself six months back, right? The DeFi space is warming up. At which point did you go? Oh God, people are gonna start like trying to go and start their own DeFi projects, and they're gonna start <laughs> calling me. I'm gonna, you know, Joe. I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm gonna go make loads of money in the DeFi space. Did you ever have a moment like that? You're thinking, okay, I've got to be the top of the game CEO to keep these people super engaged in the business. Because you know the call is going to come when Compound blows up and goes amazing or Synthetics is just like 5,000 yeah. Xing everybody. Like you, it must be as a CEO, you must be thinking, please don't, please don't, please don't. <laughs> Honestly, and this isn't a cheeky answer, that didn't happen. And I think that the reason why that doesn't happen or didn't happen is because I believe that what we're doing is huge. I believe that Bison Trails has the opportunity to be one of the most influential and most important products and companies in the blockchain space. And I believe that our team does too. And so, you know, if someone came to me and said, DeFi is blowing up, I really want to work in DeFi, I would say, go work in DeFi and let me help you. Like work on the things that you want to work on because that's where you're going to be the most effective. And, and that's that's kind of been sort of my mentality. It's less about how do I convince people to stay and more, how do I convince people to work on the things that they care the most about? And 
really at Bison Trails, I think people care a lot about what we're doing because they see we have this view of the world and we realize how impactful Bison Trails can be on the entire ecosystem. And so, yeah, Compound can blow up and DeFi can blow up, but you know, there's definitely an infrastructure company that's helping power the success and <laughs> message propagation in networks like <laughs> Ethereum. And that's Bison Trails. And so I think like this kind of goes back to my first thing, which is the way you get people to stay is solve really hard problems. Because when you're solving really hard problems, you're likely building something that has the opportunity to be huge. And when people are working on very hard problems and that big opportunity is there, they stay excited. So two years ago, it was ICOs, then IEOs, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the new keyword yeah. is DeFi. And of course, that helps with our listeners because they all want to know about DeFi. So tell us what your thoughts are on DeFi and maybe answer this question. How much of your client base are effectively a DeFi type product? So DeFi or decentralized finance is, you know, actually most of the concepts in DeFi have been researching in existence for actually decades. Uh, things like AMMs or automated market making has been around for a long time, but there really wasn't a great platform to deploy it other than crypto. And so when crypto came about, it's actually been pretty successful. I am incredibly impressed again, at the pace in the DeFi space. So even two years ago, DeFi, we, we actually hosted a DeFi meetup in our office a year and a half ago, and there was 10 people there. And I think if we tried to do that again, I mean, assuming people weren't stuck at home, if we tried to do that again, there'd probably be thousands. And so the pace at which DeFi has grown has been insane. And, and not just grown, but like forks and clones and reinvestments and new volume being locked and leverage and assets being created on top of other assets. Like people are just experimenting like crazy. And, and that to me is so, 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 so cool. I don't think that the current state of decentralized finance is the sort of end state. I think that we're seeing a lot of experimentation. We're going to see a bit more scams like we did in the ICO sort of boom. We're going to see a bit more mistakes, <laughs> like we also saw in the ICO boom. And, and these are sort of normal progressions of an ecosystem. But what's cool is that like DeFi is going through it incredibly fast. As far as our customer base is concerned, there are definitely companies in our core competency that are engaging in DeFi protocols, engaging in DeFi activities and things like lending and leverage lending and, and staking and derivatives on those things. And, and, you know, and we're strictly a technology company that helps provide secure, reliable tech to, to enable that. So in some way, shape or form, almost everybody in crypto is definitely has their eyes open and looking at DeFi. I don't think that anybody that's been in crypto long term believes that that's the only thing that matters. Similar to like during the ICO boom, folks that have been in crypto for a while were like, yeah, this is cool. It's a little bit crazy, but it's not like the end all be all for crypto. A cheeky question. This, I think people will find this quite funny. How many wallets did you have prior to September 1st that had interacted with Uniswap? <laughs> better better answer how many wallets that i knew about or how many wallets that i had total and i had forgotten about half of oh well i think you know it depends right are <laughs> <laughs> uh, they all interact with uniswap i definitely spent a bunch of time digging up old keys and old seed phrases being like i can't remember did i did i use uniswap at some point on this on this wallet it was actually pretty funny <laughs> i was telling someone i was telling someone at, at work yesterday or the day before I remember that I found a post-it note that had 12 words on it. And I was like, this has to be an Ethereum key. <laughs> like, yeah. An Ethereum seed phrase that I, you know, that I had forgotten that I had. I just like, you know, now I'm like finding a post-it note with a bunch of words on it. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to check to see if that's an Ethereum wallet. I yeah. can only imagine how many of your clients might have just had wallets that had interfaced with Uniswap and those customers aren't using them. Yeah, that's, that's actually funny. We haven't, it's not been something that like we've been pushing. And, you know, obviously... We spend, as a security postured company, we spend a lot of time making sure that we're not looking at stuff that people are doing and not looking at any of the sort of activity that, that folks are using our platform for. But it'd be probably be worth sending out an email <laughs> telling folks <laughs> how to make $1,000 overnight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I guess before we round off, I'm actually interested when you guys going to do a token? Or have you thought about it? <laughs> Good question. We're not planning to do a token. So I actually think that tokens have a time and a place in places like infrastructure and in, and in places like, like a Bison Trails-like company. I think that if you rush to decentralize or tokenize 
a network too quickly that doesn't need to be tokenized, you can really mess things up. And so we're not planning to do a token. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily off the table forever, but currently we don't have a very strong, compelling reason why we would do a token. And unless we have a strong, compelling reason why we would do a token, then that could be a utility token. It could be XYZ. It could be a protocol that we're launching. Who knows? I don't have a strong enough reason to do it, so we're not going to do it. If you were to do it, what would it be for? <laughs> that's a good that's a good question. I mean, honestly, like I, I think that utility tokens are really interesting. And you know, governance tokens being a form of a utility token. I I could see something like that being down the road a place where you can create greater community involvement in a company. But I I don't know. It's a good question. It's just we're so focused on trying to solve some of the mm. problems that other token issuers are having, yeah. um, other protocols that like haven't really taken enough time to sit back what, and say like, what if we launch a token? Well, I guess I guess maybe in two years from now, the new thing will be tokenizing metal in server farms and HSM farms and GPU <laughs> farms, and for every call on that farm, you get a percentage of the revenue generated from it. Yeah, we actually support a protocol called LivePure, which is doing video transcoding. It's an Ethereum layer two, and they do video transcoding, and there is elements of that. So you use GPUs to transcode videos, and we help run orchestrators, which basically efficiently route video transcoding jobs to GPU farms. And there's a they have a LivePure token that does that. Awesome. So I guess like I, I think we could go all day talking about all these different things. But and usually our episodes are actually 30 minutes long. This is okay. over, so it's fine. No, no, we, we actually enjoy those moments. It's all good. But we do have some fire round questions that we, we typically ask. All right, um, let's do it. First one is, if Bitcoin or Ethereum was hanging on the edge of a cliff, which one would you save and why? I would save Bitcoin. And probably because the longer Bitcoin exists, the more important it is for the entire ecosystem. And it's just existed I don't know, five years or six years longer than Ethereum. I'm very pragmatic about it. <laughs> what is your favorite podcast? Ooh. Um, <laughs> in any industry? I mean, well, like if you were only going to have time to listen to one thing, what would it be? Ooh, that's a good one. I, you know, I actually, I got to come clean. I kind of used to not really like Tim Ferriss, but I started really liking his podcast. I think he has like incredible guests and he's done a fantastic job uh, building up like an incredible, incredible podcast. So I know it's a bit of a cop out because he's quite famous and quite popular and it's not in the crypto space, but I have found myself going back and listening to some of the just like incredible conversations and, and really great interviewing he's done. So it's up there. What's your favorite ice cream? Hmm. If I'm going to have ice cream, I don't particularly like sweets, but if I'm going to have ice cream, I generally will go for a hazelnut gelato. So like an Italian gelato, particularly like the hazelnut flavor. And following on from that, are you more of a starters and a mains person or a mains and a dessert? Oh, starters and mains, hands down. In fact, I would go all starters, skip the mains and try and, and share as many things as I can. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for answering honestly, Joe, and, and being on the episode. We really appreciate it. We are quite excited to speak to a lot more maturing companies, especially on the enterprise side, because I'm an enterprise guy. So it, it definitely falls on my wheelhouse. And it's always great to have great speakers like yourself on. Definitely. And thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. Really, really great. Really great conversation. Super engaging. Really appreciate you guys taking the time and excited. If anyone listening wants to learn more about Bison Trails, you can find us at bisontrails.co or on Twitter at Bison Trails. And I'm at Joe LaLuz on Twitter. Great. Thanks a lot for sharing that info. Have a great one, guys. You too. You too. Bye-bye.